Spectrum wants me to pay them to watch this video. This is great. It's really good that our fourth estate, yep. you know, one yeah. of the most important things in keeping an informed uh, democratic electorate, just you have to pay to watch news reports about... So, so you, what, you want, like, CCP state propaganda? Like, that's what you want? You want the, you want the state to pay for it? Yeah. Huh? Yeah? Yeah, I do. Yeah? Yeah. I want uh, the... I want um, Stalin to be the president, mm -hmm. and I want him to control everything <laughs> and just teach me what truth is. Normal. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really all I want. Okay. Because clearly the only alternative to that is a <laughs> private corporate media apparatus where you have to pay $5 to watch a two-minute video that tells me how to pronounce our former district attorney's name. Disgraced. It's one or the other. Wait, is he still disgraced if now he's been... No, uh, not really. Yeah, fuck. it doesn't seem very disgraced Well, no, but me. the thing that made him resign was about something different, right? He oh, didn't I resign. I, 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 he lost the he election. Lo oh, he lost the election. He ran, oh, yeah, he ran yeah, again. No, you're right. You're right. You're wait, right. Wait, I'm he, sorry. he lost the election. That was how it happened? Yeah. I thought he got, like, kicked out for this... Nope. Oh, wow. Okay. Nope. He got to stay in that job and run again and, and barely lost okay. to uh, Mary Pat Donnelly... The wife of a Albany police detective. Neato. Interesting. Interesting. So a slow news week this week, boys. <laughs> yeah, not um, a lot happened. Not a whole lot happened. We have two incredible miscarriages of justice this week. One local, one national. I guess we'll start with the Joel Abelove. Yeah, why not? Abelove, Ubelove. We're a just going to... Abelove? We're going to refer to him using all possible pronunciations of his last name. Yeah, just make sure we get it wrong. I am yeah. unable to find the correct uh, pronunciation. For, for those playing along at home, it is Joel A-B-E-L-O-V-E. Abeluvi. It's actually because his great-grandfather was the lover of Abraham Lincoln. Yes. And so he changed his last name to Abe Love. Oh. Because of how much he loved his gay lover, Abraham Lincoln. Did that, he, that makes sense. They are Republicans. Or yeah. maybe they're log house Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. The original. The Ab loves. The Abe loves. <laughs> yeah, the log, log cabin Republican, right? That, that, that was originated by the rumors around uh, Abraham, right? Yes. Yeah. Ah. yeah. Good old Abe. Good old Abe. Honest Abe. Honest Abe. Yeah. <laughs> and honest Abe love, because whomst among us does not trust the words of our former district attorney? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, ooh, me, me, me. <laughs> you? Yeah, yeah. No, oh, no. Okay, okay. I, I actually want to start at the end. So currently, this is no exaggeration, no lie, Joel Ablove is currently practicing law out of a building that says guns on it in big, like, old-timey, like, deadwood letters. Um, and his most high-profile client are the two... Uh, militia men that brought lots of guns to a uh, our local um, Black Lives Matter rally. On the big eleven thousand, yeah. yeah, strong yeah. Troy protest. So that, yeah. that that's what our current uh, or our, our former district attorney who just got off uh, from uh, a huge miscarriage of justice. Yeah, potentially um, uh, Troy's yeah. written houses. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. He, that's what he does now. Yeah, is cool. he he operates law out of a gun shop. Uh, and defends militiamen, right-wing militiamen. And what I hope we all learn from that is, folks, don't let your dreams be dreams. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every 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 moment of your waking conscience is an opportunity to do what you most love, do, uh, just which is just cover up for the murder of citizens and defend Boogaloo boys. All your losses be lessons, you know? Yeah. You, like, maybe you lost your election to 
a uh, the wife of an Albany police detective who also won't do anything about police brutality because she little, literally fucks one. But you know, you don't know that they fuck. That's that could be a loveless marriage. That's for all you know. That's very good point. She could be a beard. Maybe that that dude's super gay. Could be a beard. There's nothing wrong with that. The only thing that's not fine is being married to a cop and fucking a cop. That's wrong. (laughs) Don't fuck a cop, no matter what your gender is. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh man. Uh, Uh, So yeah, yeah, uh, for those not in the five one eight, you probably haven't heard of uh, Abe Love. Um, but this is a, a disgraced um, district attorney that we had that uh, in the time of the Edson Thevenin uh, murder by Sergeant Randall French. Uh, R.I.P. Pr- proceeded to uh, create. Yeah, Randall French, by the way, died of COVID. Uh, if you have any interest in learning more about this case, episode uh, 10, uh, which was titled. Um, Good cop. One donut. Yeah, for uh, Officer Centeni that wrote a uh, true-to-life account of the uh, shooting of Edson Thevenin uh, and published an internal review that was, I think, like 60-something pages and basically like completely showed how uh, Randall French lied uh, and unnecessarily, summarily executed Edson Thevenin. Yeah. Um, and then ops- episode uh, 14, uh, Party and Bullshit, in which we lament the fact that the city council unanimously went along with the ongoing cover-up, which is still ongoing, um, as uh, directed by the current mayor, Madden, and the ex-chief of police, uh, Tedesco. Um, but... Abelove was a district attorney that uh, in the days following the shooting of Edson um, somehow managed to give the shooter, Randall French, complete immunity in a um, sealed uh, grand jury uh, testimonial process. And that this was something that he was being brought up on in two trials, one of which the original judge had basically dismissed the charges out of hand, but after greater evidence had surfaced, the trial reopened, and that had been going on the past week. So people with had the been... the same judge. With the same judge. Because why not, right? Why not? Yeah, you know? I mean, you have one judge throughout the case, and then just, yeah, send it right back to that same judge. Yeah. Why, that 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 is perfectly reasonable. Well, you know, th- this is how the state um, holds itself accountable. Yeah. You know, and yeah. um, you just got to trust the process. Got to trust the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> and we, we should say that, you know, we'll put this in the show notes, but, like, the, the New York Times editorial board, so even, like, the libist, libby, lib, libby, <laughs> lib people that you could, that could ever lib, um, uh, uh, wrote, wrote an op-ed, an editorial, where they, they called Abe Love, like, a, like, uh, I don't know, like a scoundrel or something. Like, they said that he's not... <laughs> oh, a scoundrel? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, not a scoundrel. <laughs> they, 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 they said they it was clearly it, he was clearly uh, um, uh, covering up something. Yeah, he was and, gu- yeah. guilty of rapscallionism. Yeah, <laughs> he was a he was a <laughs> rake and harassed about. <laughs> <laughs> he, sh- he should really be the the topic of a uh, uh, of a Decemberist song. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for getting my reference. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll link that. But it, yeah, essentially them them saying that uh, no, they called him a renegade. That's what it was. Oh, okay. Um, that a, sounds cool, though. Yeah, that, a, a, re, a renegade Rensselaer County, New York district attorney showed his contempt for the law. With, yeah, they, they say he brazenly obstructed a state investigation. That's the New York Times. Yeah, even the New York Times thinks that. Sometimes they have to just report facts. They yeah. have no choice. Yeah. 
So, um, as everybody uh, would expect, um, he was found guilty on all charges, and um, <laughs> they, you know, are going Justice to has been served. yeah, and and this is part of the commitment of all of the Democratic legislators and uh, rulers um, in our country. They they hear us, they yep. see us, uh-huh. and they're going to do better. <laughs> yeah, they put a lot of pressure on everyone involved to make sure yeah. that you know justice was served, and and in a really like remarkable uh, and unique uh, um, development, the judge has instead instead of ordered jail time, has like compelled Abelove to you know give a lot of free legal advice to people that have been hurt by the justice system as okay, so a, as case, a means of restoring you know in case the sarcasm is in fact being lost on our listeners because we've gone pretty deep into this bit um Abelove was found uh not was, guilty. was acquitted he, yeah. he wasn't found not guilty yeah, but he, he was, was acquitted, acquitted. He was acquitted. whatever um, the from thing. the same judge who previously dismissed his case yeah so and the, um, and the the case was only or the the case was like five days I think they were yeah, in court and he deliberated for less than an hour yeah he like took a lunch break and was like yeah definitely innocent yeah I mean this guy was never going to go down for this no. like yes. there's just no will there's no um the the Democrats have long given up on the judiciary not just at the national level but at local levels as well um there's no competition to be district attorney like yeah. nobody serious gets run there's no incentive for the state to hold itself accountable well n- well now, now we have a democrat as the da but that da but, yeah but yeah. she's a coptic sucker yeah. so she doesn't count <laughs> yeah no, should I cut that? <laughs> no, 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 because, because even I mean, if, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. As I said before, it could be a perfectly loveless marriage. Um, could be so, a marriage of convenience, right? Yeah, they could be for tax purposes. Yeah. It could be, it for, could and be health insurance. Cops could, do get excellent health yeah. insurance. It could be because Mary Pat Donnelly knows something about the able about the able investigation, and two, uh, you know, people in in a marriage can't be uh charged for they the can't same be crime. charged for the same crime as we all know <laughs> yeah so and if uh, they can then take to the sea yes take so, to the so sea. there was um regular uh like round the clock while the trial was ongoing protest uh out in front of the uh, county courthouse and uh shout out to the hudson mohawk magazine journalists uh ep and uh, dave pablo who did a great job covering uh what was going on inside the courtroom and of course it was as convincing to the people who were in the um, audience of the courtroom, as uh, you'd imagine, but once again, doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't <laughs> not... fucking matter. Yeah. Um, and so it's another uh, tragedy of the fact that uh, the, the the person who did the miscarriage of justice in the first place that kept the structure of the legal system from being able to legally hold the murderer accountable is uh, off scot-free. And the people who held out the political and PR end of the cover-up are also not accountable and are in fact still in office and um, generally beloved. (laughs) And, uh, but Basically, every single person uh, while I was out uh, in front of the courthouse, um, you know, protesting around one of my lunch breaks, every single person who is driving a work vehicle beat the horn in enthusiastic support of the protest. Every single person who was uh, old and white, regardless of whether they had a dream catcher hanging from their uh, <laughs> rear view mirror, um, <laughs> they all uh, looked at us with consternation and disapproval. Yeah. Sounds don't, right. don't let the dreams you catch be dreams <laughs> of 
of, of, of disunity. I don't know. Uh, I, I just want to say one. a quick word in defense of the judge. It actually took the judge three hours. Oh, oh my God. Decision. okay. So, oh, right. you know, get yeah. your facts straight. Yeah. So they probably, first of all, they probably <laughs> played some Smash Brothers, maybe jerked it. A couple of times, yeah. yeah. You can get, how many jerks can you get in three hours? Probably, <laughs> probably a couple. Probably yeah. a few, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, incredibly tragic. Very um, tragic. You know, uh, frustrating. Um, tons and tons of community energy and effort went into raising the optics of this and the consciousness around the trial, uh, which I think really went up, uh, which is to yeah. say, you can look at the Reddit unanimous uh disapproval of the decision um and you know generally people really pissed off uh and if only there was a way to channel that anger into some type of mechanism by which the system would actually change huh um you're saying so like what if like the people and like their collective will were to be translated into some sort of organization or body that then does the people's will on their behalf That'd fucking rip. Right. That'd rip. Or like if people got to choose like the person in that job. I can't see a way that that would go wrong. Yeah. That would right. only ever yeah. bring about what it should. Yeah. 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 Um, so we should, we should get around to that. Yeah. Ho- ho- hopefully uh, we get that someday. You know what we need is a corporation that would aggregate all of our opinions through an mm. al- through a proprietary algorithm Ooh. and then plug that Ooh. into a series of uh, uh, hierarchical magistrates <laughs> that we would then bring our... You would vote. You, so you would go on Twitch. It's like a hot or not for politicians. Yeah, so you buy credits that right. allow you... To use emojis that express your feelings about a given topic. So, okay, so like twenty credits is like fifteen dollars, right? So, it's okay, not, yeah. And so then you can use those vouchers, emoji vouchers, to respond on a Twitch-like stream mm. for which way you think. Go on more about the magicians. I was into that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so well, see what happens is first you play this video game where your actions in the game actually provide computing power to uh uh determine like the protein structure or like un uh, like <laughs> figure out the protein structure of some proprietary antiviral regimen that only the rich people will get for coronavirus okay okay right and then through play when you pay that when you play that you get paid in in ethereum credits okay which then you can spend on votes for different elected officials around you who are magicians okay and then those magicians give you more credits to play games that are more fun all right i got i got i got another idea how about trial by combat Ooh, okay i do like yeah. trial by combat pretty straightforward and, i like that and so the ruling class can only really uh pick from its ranks like you have to have you know um graduated from an ivy or um never had to work a day in your life to be you know considered a combatant for the ruling class, but then we can pick whoever. Well, you have to have an Antifa card. You have to have <laughs> the the club card for yeah. Antifa International. And you just throw a can of soup at the other guy. <laughs> no, Yo, that's soup for my family. Yeah. <laughs> that soup is for my family. I, I've soup been my removing a lot of bricks from my basement, and you know, like Donald Trump, it's like 
He's like a stop clock, right? Twice a day. You cannot throw one of those things. You it's can't heavy. throw it's, a brick. It's too fucking heavy. Like I could throw a brick. I think that's horseshit. <laughs> All right, we're gonna try that out in just a minute. We'll we'll, put it, we'll post it on Twitter. No, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna reveal my. I'm shame telling you, online. you can't do it. I believe you. If if you can't do it, I most certainly cannot do it. Yeah. yeah, Chris is doing pull-ups like as we're recording. Yeah, I notice no breath. He's not. He's not winded at all. <laughs> but those bricks. Yeah, they're, they're too damn heavy. Too heavy. Bricks are too heavy. Um. So yeah, R.I.P. Justice. Um. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully, um, some of the fucking changes. Yeah. So um, the reaction to this, yeah. right, was that uh was bad. It was anger, right? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. You know, like out, outside of the courthouse. Um. Uh, shut down Congress and Third. Mm-hmm. A little intersection there. Shout out to everyone that works at that Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, on the corner there. So we we so we shut it down, right? And it was um and and this was like in the middle of their their lunch rush. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know who gets lunch at Dunkin' Donuts. A lot weird. of people. Yeah, a fucking lot of people. Yeah, yeah. or at least coffee. You know? Yeah, and um and, and the, what, what's I don't know if that's just like, if it's just the um, the uh, franchise owner around here or what, but Dunkin' Donuts, uh, the people have tips. The people that work in donuts yep. like rely on tips. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we felt bad that um, that they were being denied business. Den- denied business. So I, I I did a collection of people there, and we we threw them like thirty forty bucks. Oh wow, uh, that's really for, cool for uh, ruining their their lunch rush. But. Um, I think yeah, they were grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you know, it's all black ladies. Like it's all like young, yeah. Bl- yeah, teens young often, women. Yeah. yeah, it's like young. Hey, women. folks, that's a really good way to uh, go about doing your politics in such that it may disrupt working class yeah. uh, workday, but maybe redistribute some of the material benefits of yeah. that disruption. Solidarity yeah. is important for yeah, sure. Yeah. So, uh, so that happened. Yep. However, though, the uh, local Dunkin' Donuts um, uh, corporation donated what was it like? Yeah. Like some like, helmets and riot. It was gear like two hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment. So yeah. they they like Jesus they, they, they to the cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not you know enough for NEMRAP, but definitely enough to outfit everybody with like you know um, a cool lot of helmet. <laughs> yeah, they all <laughs> cool got cool lot of helmets. Oh, yeah, yeah. So then after the downtown protest, uh, some people showed up at the mayor's house. <laughs> that that fucking rules. Yeah. Uh, so the mayor lives in a neighborhood called Albia, right? Is that, uh, is no, that true? No, it's no, still, it's east, still side. east east side. It's okay. not by us. It's seven. <laughs> uh, you can you can find it in the tax rolls. No, you can find it in the tax rolls. It's easy to find seventy. <laughs> that's where All our right. mayor lives. You can Google it. Jesus. It's not hard to find. You can go Google Patrick Madden, uh, uh, like Maple. Yeah, and you will find it. So, uh, 71 Maple Island. I had heard it's about this, house. like, right after, uh, band practice with Zombie Giuliani, and, uh, I wasn't in a state to drive, let's, let's put it that way. Um, but you were there, right? Uh, allegedly. <laughs> and what, oh, what, yeah, maybe al- we shouldn't. Al- yeah. Allegedly, what was the vibe? <laughs> the, allegedly, the vibe was, uh, like, very peaceful, to be honest. It was loud, because that was the point. Yeah. It would be really loud. Neighbors didn't seem to care for it. Yeah, you know, uh, David got intimidated by one of the allegedly yeah, got allegedly. intimidated by one of the neighbors. Yeah, I, I mean, I heard someone somewhere walked by a house with a Blue Lives Matter flag. Yeah, and and, uh, and they were like, "Stay over there," you know. It was, it was yeah. Um, well, th- that's sort of uh, what when I heard about it, that my mind immediately jumped to the um, 
you know, pretty loudly displayed uh, suburban commando fantasies of a lot of people who are like, yeah. oh, yeah. fucking BLM and Antifa, you just, you just you fucking try it. You just come into my fucking suburban house. I am going to pump so much fucking lead into your body. <laughs> You're going to be fucking <laughs> leaking for weeks. It's going to be, f- oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so anyway, while, while Chris cleans up, uh, um, uh, what what else happened? There was um everyone spray painted Biden Harris 2020 on all the garage doors. Oh my god! Blacks rule. Blacks rule. Whites rule. Somebody did uh, like do the chalk paint. Uh, your mur- blood is on your hands. Blood is on your hands. Murder. Yeah, that was on. so. I, I, we got a photo the next rules. the next morning, and like everything was gone by like seven thirty in the morning. Yeah, they the hosed it all down. Yeah, everything was gone. Yeah, uh, I, I saw the picture though, where it, yeah. all, all the spooky decorations of uh, <laughs> cover up of uh, police murder. Yeah, it, it was it was quite festive. Yeah. So that allegedly happened. Uh, the cops that showed up to that. Well, so here, here's actually another thing that, that's it's really dark and sad is that so we probably had like three thousand dollars an hour worth of cops like staring at us, right? Yeah. Both both local and state troopers. Yeah. And there was one state trooper that was like seven feet tall. He looked like the oh, man. they got a juggernaut too. Yeah, yeah, he, it's, yeah. It's like he was built out of other like a pieces of other state troopers. Yeah. Like and just like and then mm. he has the tall hat on afterward. That's like. You don't need the hat now. Yeah, like you're yeah. already you're towering imposing. above yeah. everyone else. You only get that after like a twenty kill streak, right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> but what's, but what is actually also funny is that, but he still has the same size tie, so the ties doesn't come all the way. Down. I couldn't get the man a longer tie. <laughs> get him a longer oh, geez. But uh, so even though all those like three thousand dollars an hour worth of cops are there, um, someone else was shot and killed in in North Central. Fuck! Another, yeah. that, that's like yeah. what fourteen for yeah, this year? At, yeah, at the same time. Oh my god! And why are you trying to hurt the people? Why are you trying right? to? Why are you trying to rob the taxpayers? And it's like th- these people keep getting Allegedly. shot within like the same like half block, and there just never happens to be a cop there. And the cops were like one to one ratio with you guys, yeah. right? Like it wasn't a huge. It's not like there were three hundred people outside the mayor's house. Allegedly, like, it wasn't a huge alleged gathering. Um, so why they needed so many cops on yeah. the scene is... It's ridiculous. And, they you know, didn't even have any soup, I don't think. No, not, as, I, not a single can of soup For your families us. or otherwise. Yeah, we had some pizza. We were eating pizza. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you allegedly. didn't bring me any fucking pizza. Oh, well, it was gone. All right. I didn't really have I didn't earn it, so it's fine. <laughs> but but the, uh, um, I, I, we're, we're joking about, like, allegedly and stuff, but, like, this was all streamed on, on Facebook Live, yeah. and, like, people... Saw it. It's also it, not illegal to protest yeah. in front of the mayor's house, so it's yeah. not like yeah. you have to. And I was on the sidewalk the whole time. Yeah, I was yeah, on the I sidewalk. I yeah, not breaking any. I, ju- I just happened to be walking by the sidewalk back and forth for like four hours. I think it was probably not helpful to the protest that you kept shouting, "Hey, I'm walking here." <laughs> it was probably, <laughs> but necessary. Yeah, yeah, because I was. <laughs> So why don't you tell us, David, a little bit about why it's important to hold the mayor directly responsible Ooh, for yeah. Joe Abe, Abe Lover being acquitted? Yeah, so on all charges. Yeah, because you think like, well, what like Joel Abalava uh, was like? He's a county, not city, uh, elected official. He's a Republican. Our mayor's a Democrat. Uh, um, yeah, right. All, all of those things, but but. But Madden one has never really said anything about this. He said nothing about the about the acquittal, 
He's, he's really said very little about this case at all. As we've talked about in episodes 10 and 14, he's also like central to the cover up where he doesn't see any problem with like keeping the Centeni memo. He, com- uh, he commissioned the Rinaldi yeah. memo that co- that covers up the murder. He yeah. refuses to release it. And he, re- yeah, and, and he re- doesn't release the Centeni or the Centeni memo. Was that the one that was that, that was that was that was, that was leaked? leaked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so there's that-, that one. But like then the one that that countermands it he won't release because it's i from what we've heard it's like like a 10 page like nah (laughs) yeah it's emotional uh and psychological arguments saying that one cops can't lie because stress affects memory two cops can't murder anyone because if they're scared they're in self-defense and that's pretty much it yeah and so it's that you know in apparently eight pages of dialogue citing no uh forensic evidence whatsoever um and that refutes that refutes the internal investigation using uh in like expertise at um vehicular um forensics really makes you think yeah so that so that i mean that's why is that you know like he uh Patrick Madden hasn't been able to do, or hasn't had to do, really anything about this. And it needs to start weighing on his mind, whether yeah. he's, uh, uh, you know, at, uh, at, at work or hiding in a fort made out of failed presidential candidates' uh, ghost-written novels, which I'm sure is what he was doing when we were out there. Because that's <laughs> the other thing, is that uh, when, I, I, when, when uh, a group of people got there, there was a TV on in that in that house so someone was there and no one came out yeah uh and i'm assuming and they turned off the tv and like hid away so i'm assuming patrick madden has a fort made out of panic room yeah no it's a fort no it's just it's it's just copies of like what happened yeah lined up all around (laughs) yeah yeah just like all these like failed presidential candidates like uh books and then he just makes a fort out of it and hides in it uh and and he was probably just sitting there the whole time thinking like playing angry birds on yeah yeah like think about like what would michelle obama do in this situation yeah it it would definitely be uh a lot more poignant and uh emotionally touching i'm sure yeah (laughs) you know even if you want to make the argument that madden has very little material control or power in any of this he could at least give the family the dignity of addressing the injustice of it all yes that's the very very least that he could do and all he would have to do to make all of this pressure on him go away and it's sad to say but it's true if he were to just say something publicly that showed that he had a fucking heart and had any interest in the community seeing justice on this issue yeah well he could really take a lot of the fire off himself yeah for sure i mean you know like I went up to him during the 11,000 person rally. He was sitting in Monument Square and, um, and I was like, Hey, uh, you're Patrick Madden. And he's like, yes. And I was like, you should end the cover up and resign. And he said, I should. And I was shocked enough that I didn't know what to say. So I just like walked <laughs> that's away. It. That's a good, uh, that's it's a, a good, good comeback. It's, yeah. it's, it's a good, it's a good answer, but, um, do it. Yeah. Do it. Do you it. won't do Howard. it. <laughs> I, so the, the one time I've, had an extended conversation with him we were uh this was during the um uh, sanctuary city campaign and we had been asking for a meeting with him forever right and we finally got one we all sit down it's the first time he ever got to meet delilah you the the person that was uh kidnapped by rensselaer county sheriffs and uh detained and sent to an ice uh uh camp in batavia 
um, for months. Um, so the first time without he ever bothered, daughter. yeah, yeah, without her two kids. So it was the first time he had ever seen her in person. And, um, and we we're talking about like, well, what, like, why won't you just declare Troy a sanctuary city? And his line was always that, well, sanctuary city isn't a real thing. And so like, I don't want, I actually don't want to mislead people into thinking they're safe into thinking that they're safe very very 3d chess and um and we were like well i mean there are things that you can do to like increase people's safety increase people's safety and you can call that a sanctuary city because that is like the name brand of this thing and even if you like and he's like so like i would like to do some real stuff and but just like stay away from the whole sanctuary city kerfuffle thing and we're like look you're gonna be you're a democrat uh, this is what i told him personally was like you're a democrat and no matter what you do on this if you give us an inch they're gonna call you a sanctuary city democrat like yeah you're gonna paint you as a socialist like no matter know. what so can't you just like appeal to a couple more people that you that might actually be like really like enamored with you by doing this like we keep like getting like 60 people at city council meetings like you would make them all happy and maybe even devoted if you did that and it doesn't really seem to cost you anything so like why won't why can't you just like own this instead of letting the republicans like just write the the, entire narrative just, just write this entire narrative because that's what you're doing by abdicating this he's like that's not my style that's what he said verbatim that's not my style well i don't yeah. care how you well, how yeah. fashionable you are like the point <laughs> is you know like but I mean, it's like it, your, whatever, your style man. is to lose like your style is to yeah. just like not be like a, a wet blanket like pieces like piece of shit it, i don't yeah, know it's completely it, useless and not like this i want to come to his defense though but i want to point out that like his way of dealing with the real crises that are in his community is exactly par for the course for the entire Democratic Party. It is, and yeah, so totally like is. you know, like that's that's the the real frustration is that you know the the I think one of the things that we try to get across in this program is that you know the frustration that leftists feel with the Democratic Party on a national stage um, is identical to the frustration that that they should and do feel um, on a local stage. Yeah, and that these things aren't separate, and there isn't like a way in which like local politics is somehow like purer or you have like some type of actual agency and like ultimately these people are beholden to interests that aren't the popular opinion of the population like you know whether it's bulldozing the last bit of old growth forest along the hudson within your jurisdictional boundary uh to make a fucking unnecessary luxury condominium like disaster um or if it's you know trying to do right by a family of which a paid employee of your city murdered unnecessarily like whether you do bring them any semblance of justice and or material support or at least like recognition that that didn't need to happen and it did happen under his watch you know and instead no 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 he was totally justified you know like we have this secret memo believe us it's very good and um you know like that's it you know i'm like i'm the good guy I'm, i'm i'm the good guy look i'm blue yeah and well, and, and you know, you, you touch on uh, Chris. You mentioned uh, uh, new unnecessary housing, right? Let's you know, like bring this all together. A uh, friend of the pod, uh, Rachel, sent us this. This, this is a, a Times Union article um, that apartment building around here is going crazy in Troy. The the city is 
looking at at a developing boom in new apartment buildings that will house up to 666 units. Ooh. According to plans submitted to multiple city That's metal, actually. I support that, actually. Is it, like, from an aerial view, like, laid out as a pentagram? Yes. Yeah, Fuck yeah. yeah, absolutely. Big central Baphomet statue. <laughs> it's actually uh, being uh, funded by the uh, Satanist Church of uh, the United States. Yeah, It's crazy, said Stephen Strickman, <laughs> the city's commissioner of planning and economic development. He says everybody is building apartments. But like the, the point is that, like, yeah, there are, there's a ton of apartment construction going on around here. But we also still have a ton of buildings that could be rehabbed. But, you know, for like a, a dozen and a half reasons, they don't. Uh, for reasons that have to do with outside of Troy, mainly that it is artificially expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there isn't, like, a central capitalist with a whole bunch of political pull that can get fucking rich off of it. Yeah, yeah. So what, what we have instead is, uh, let's, let's bulldoze a bunch of old-growth trees and, and build, a, build an apartment complex. But, you know, th- this is a good example of why, like, how all these things are connected. Like, the, like, uh, Edson Thevenin, uh, getting shot and killed is part of a uh, a system of policing that also polices property instead and in defense property instead of people right like the the pe- the cops that were defending the mayor's property were n- at that time not defending actual people who were being shot and killed in north central yeah right and and this is all this i think is probably maybe a good segue probably maybe a good segue to um our, our Breonna taylor piece like talking about Breonna Taylor, like the, uh, yeah. the national news. Yeah. So that was, you know, of course, our second great miscarriage of justice this week was the cops who killed Breonna Taylor were not indicted. The only officer who was indicted, Officer Hankison, which is a dumb last name. Change your name. It's a dumb last name. <laughs> Sorry to any listeners who were named Hankison. I doubt there's anybody else in the world named that but um he was indicted for uh wanton, wanton endangerment so the the details of this case we've never really talked about on the show but to explain why most legal observers were not at all surprised by this judgment um and it was very it was always incredibly unlikely that the other two officers were ever going to be indicted because Kentucky has a stand your ground law that allows anyone to defend themselves with force against a show of force. So because Brianna's boyfriend, uh, Kenneth Walker, who was at the scene at the time, and he fired first because he believed that he was experiencing a home invasion because he shot the cops, not because they're cops, but because they are citizens had the right to defend themselves with return fire under that pretense. They were never really going to be indicted because state law protects them in their actions. The reason Hankison was indicted is because he, uh, one didn't have a target in his sights and two violated police protocol, which says that you never fire into a space in which you don't have a direct line of sight he fired into a sliding glass window with the blinds pulled which is why there were all of these wanton i mean if you look at the crime scene and i i actually watched the new york times had a pretty good documentary on it uh that i think you can find on hulu and maybe on youtube um it's just called the killing of brianna taylor but like you look inside the apartment and it looks 
Well, it looks like a bunch of people indiscriminately fired off 30 shots, which is exactly what happened. But there are bullet holes everywhere. There yeah, are like bullets. Hankinson almost, like just barely missed uh, a neighbor that was like pregnant, right? It was like a pregnant, pregnant woman. and had yeah. a child sleeping in a crib yeah. in the next bedroom over. I mean, it was like, it is good that he was indicted. It'll be even better if he sees some kind of retribution. I mean, we're, we're pro incarceration or we're anti. <laughs> We are uh, pro-abolition of the carceral state on this show. But, you know, it's it's for for people who are maybe confused as to how this could happen. I think those are some important facts to keep in mind, which doesn't make it. It actually reveals the injustice of the system broadly. Like yeah. it, it, it yeah. forces you to not consider this a couple of evil, bad actors, but rather just a complete breakdown of the entire system of justice in this country. Yeah, because so much of what I know what I've seen online has has been a lot of like inaccuracies, right? Like she wasn't in her bed, which you know, like, yeah, like there have been a ton of elements of yeah, this case that have been inaccurately reported or spread by, you know, on Twitter that kind of thing. Yeah, and which and and what what, She's become what a we're meme. saying. Yeah, and what we're saying is that like it's actually worse than what the lies say. Yeah, David or and I were talking lies, about this like over here. So like some of the inaccurate portrayals of this case are that she was in her bed. She was not in her bed. She was standing in the hall. Um that the warrant wasn't in her name or that they were in the wrong apartment. That's they were in the right apartment. The warrant was in her name. On its face, refuting those misconceptions makes it sound like it's not as bad as it was. But actually, when you dig deeper, it makes it even worse because it means that Brianna believed that she was experiencing a home invasion. It means she was awoken from a sleep, brought out of her bed to come into her hallway and experience her door being blown in by strangers. Like, it's not... (laughs) It's not more unjust if she was killed in her bed. The way that it actually went down is incredibly terrifying. You try to imagine her last moments, and it's horrific. Um, The New York Times documentary has the call from her boyfriend, Kenneth, when he was calling 911 because she'd been shot. Because they're just a bunch of strangers that shown up and, and, and aerated the place. It's so obvious from his call that he doesn't understand what just happened to him yeah like it strangers broke into his apartment with his girlfriend and killed her it's it's heartbreaking audio and the other weird thing about it is so like the chain of events is the cops have a no-knock warrant but they decide at the last minute as they're executing the raid that they are going to knock their supervisor sergeant whoever tells them oh, we're not going to go that way is the quote so they decide they're going to knock the way they knock according to kenneth walker is not a knock 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 police open up we have a search warrant it's two loud bangs so you hear a bang and that's what gets them out of bed now they're both standing in the hallway she's screaming who's who is it who's there you hear another bang she's screaming again who's there who's there that's when they they use the um like battering, battering ram, ram to yeah. knock in the door uh kenneth fires off a shot because he ha- legally owns a registered handgun and has the right to defend his property and his and his partner um and then it is so a, they never said police they according to so we'll get into that okay. but according to so then they fire off a barrage of over 30 shots i think it was 31 or 32 shots are fired between all three of the police 
But then it goes silent, and you can hear when Kenneth calls 911, there is no noise in the background. It's not like the way this went was they force open the door, they get fired upon, they fire, 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 they, uh, and then they start arresting people and screaming, this is the police, we have a warrant, put your hands up, like you're under any of that. It is silent. So, and it's clear that something happened after they fired off that barrage of shots where they realized, like, we just fucked up. So they cordon off the whole area. They won't let anybody in. They're there for like 12 hours, hours yeah. after this incident. So in terms of the witnesses and what they said, so shortly after the incident, Holy all shit. the neighbors who were interviewed said that they never heard the police announce themselves. Two months later, police had been in regular contact several times with one of the neighbors. He's a gentleman. I don't know where he's from. English is obviously not his first language. I'm not sure where he's from. Um, Possibly like some nation in Africa, it seems like based on his accent, I would guess. But um, he originally told police he did not hear them identify themselves. And then two months later, he changes his his account after multiple conversations with police that he heard them say, this is the cops. That's his quote. Now, that's not what cops say when they're issuing a search warrant. They don't say this is the cops. They say this is the police. We have a search warrant. So it's very suspect that not only did he change his testimony, but what he's it's not testimony. Not only did he change his account, but what he is giving an account of doesn't sound right. That was the police used that to defend these cops saying like, no, this one neighbor says that he heard them announce themselves. Nobody else did. Nobody else did. So um, at around 3 a.m., I think, Kenneth calls Brianna Taylor's mother and says something's happened to her. Um, And they're not on the phone long. And he then ends up having to hang up with her very quickly because they pull him out of the apartment. They arrest him, all of that. And and she's been shot in the stomach. She's been shot in the stomach. So at the time that he calls 911, she's not responsive. He doesn't know if she's okay or not. Brianna Taylor's mother arrives at the apartment complex around 3 in the morning, and police will not give her any information. She stays there until 11 a.m., just continually being put off by these cops, not given any information. She's asking, where's my daughter? What has happened? Finally, at 11 a.m., a police officer tells her, she says, where is my daughter? And the cop says, she's in the apartment. Which means Brianna Taylor, who was shot in the stomach, she was not shot in the head. This was not like an instantaneous instant kill. death. Yeah, she yeah. was left in that apartment until eleven a.m. Holy! When this incident occurred, like just after midnight. Shit. Yeah. And so, so that alone, the in you know the the act of callousness to not administer uh, aid to to an injured uh, suspect immediately. And we've seen this a lot with cops, right? I mean, this was part of the the guy who got shot. At the fast food place in Georgia, I believe it was, oh, um, right, that caused yeah. them to burn down a Burger King or something. Wendy's. Yeah, he, he fell Wendy's. asleep. Yeah, he fell yeah, asleep. He fell, in and the, he was in shot the, and received through. no medical attention. We see this happen all the time. And unless you're like a white supremacist, avowed white supremacist, uh, uh, like mass murderer, in which case they arrest you very politely and then get you breakfast. Get you, yeah, get you breakfast. So those are some of the... So so the other thing that has been misconstrued is that the warrants weren't for Brianna Taylor's apartment or they mm-hmm. weren't for her. Mm-hmm. The warrant was for Brianna Taylor. The reason they got a warrant signed by a judge was because Brianna had previously had a boyfriend who was um 
a known drug dealer who had been who had served time in prison for it and who had previously used her address to have packages sent to him. Okay. So they believed that he was hiding drugs in her apartment. At this point, the two of them had broken up. Uh, He had been incarcerated. Then he got out. They had not gotten back together. She was still with her new boyfriend, Kenneth. Um, And so based on this evidence alone, now, typically, if cops want to get a search warrant, they need to provide some kind of evidence that there has been suspected criminal activity within the last 48 hours. That's under normal circumstances. That's what a standard judge would use as just cause for a no-knock search warrant. For whatever reason, and nobody's been able to get a good answer out of the judge on this, they were using evidence that months prior he had had some, he had used her mailing address. This isn't even there was any witnessed activity of him doing, you know, conducting business at this place. All they knew was that he had used her mailing address as his and had some packages sent there. And that was the justification for this, for this judge uh, signing a search warrant, a no-knock warrant, furthermore. No-knock warrants, again, should, first of all, should never be used. But in theory, if you justify their use, it's that they're used in extreme cases when you believe that a domicile may have uh, huge quantities of drugs and money, and the only way to catch them in the act is to do a no-knock warrant. Yeah, the that idea was, that they could destroy evidence uh, is the main motivating exactly. factor. Exactly. That was never... A likelihood in the case of Brianna Taylor's apartment. Like, if they had anything, it was not likely to be a large amount. The only evidence they had was that months prior he had sent packages to her place. And, and furthermore, there was a, the, the fact that they were doing this policing in the first place has to do with something that I heard called uh, space based policing or like yes. area based policing. And so the idea here is that they were trying to do some type of urban renewal. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. they so were I, trying. I actually have a quote up about this now. Yeah. The Brianna. Taylor family lawyers uh, allege that the raid that killed Taylor was part of a broader effort to evict residents who were impeding the city's Vision Russell, uh, quote unquote, redevelopment initiative. When they broke down Taylor's door, the Louisville police were seeking to apprehend an associate of Jamarcus Glover, a former boyfriend of Taylor's who lived uh, on Elliott Avenue at the center of the city's neighborhood renewal project. Glover, who faces drug charges, was not in Taylor's apartment at the time of the raid, and it's unclear whether he was there with any frequency at all. But the the point is that they're um uh they were targeting Glover uh so they could repossess his home that he had rented. Um and the, and in June the city um the city's land bank purchased the house for a dollar. So this is all um the 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 thinking is that like this raid because was part well we know that it was part of like several other raids right that yeah, was happening so, in a completely different part of the city so that's one and that strange... and that's the part that they are doing the redevelopment in. yeah so that's another strange element of this case is that the night brown and taylor was killed louisville police had issued five independent search warrants four of them were in a very concentrated area of louisville the fifth Brianna Taylor's home was on the complete other side of town from all of these other cops. Because they had stretched their resources so thin the night of, many of the police that were on these squads were inexperienced. And that includes the ones who were sent to Brianna Taylor's house. I think there were nine or ten cops altogether sent there, um, and three of them were the ones who fired shots. The, 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 the people on the force that night 
we're not well equipped to deal with a raid of this magnitude. And things were changing last minute. You know, we mentioned the no knock warrant and that at the very last minute it was changed to a yes knock warrant. warrant. Um, But yes, this element that it's part of an urban renewal. So what do we have? We have all these forces colliding here. We have the war on drugs. We have this urban renewal um, uh, uh, movement. Gentrification. Gentrification. That now is, is using you know, the long arm of the law to actually acquire property, acquire. Yeah. Like that is not the purpose of, of, of a police force at all. Well, it is. Well, yeah, it's not the stated <laughs> yeah, purpose the of stated. a police yeah. force. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and this isn't like limited to Louisville, right? Like they are, they're not innovating no, not in this all. world. Right. No. So like, if it you, is a, part- it is a very racist city more so than other cities where this is happening, but yeah. Well, like right, for example, so here's a here's a homework project for everyone. You can go go Google uh, racial dot map. The University of Virginia has this interesting, really useful tool um, where they put a, a dot, a color coded dot everywhere um, in the United States based on the census that shows where white, black, Asian, and Hispanic people live, and. Uh, and, and it's it's really telling is it can it shows gentrification and and um segregation modern day segregation like very visually, very yeah. yeah very very stark um and then i and then you can also go um to the new york times has a map of all of the stop and frisk um locations like while that was still going you know like from like 2000 what was that it ended in 2012 but i, I think it started in 02 or 04 or something um they they have a, a a map of like where all of those happened and who, and what the color of the person was that was arrested what race they were and um and what you can find is that all of the places where there is like pockets of white people like in Williamsburg right uh, uh, um or now in Harlem right you go to all those different places where there's just lots of white people around those white people in the other stop and frisk map everything lights up like around it and you it's just very very clear that stop and frisk was always this uh, keeping black people keeping out of black people out of these new uh newly carved out uh white gentrified neighborhoods and as and louisville was doing um basically the same policy as new york city stop and frisk but with drivers D- yeah. co- police were pulling over you know black black wall driving like that's you know um so they were pulling people over pulling them out of their cars um, searching them without any kind of warrant, bringing dogs into their cars with no no reasonable suspicion for doing so. Um, it's really like the the story of Breonna Taylor is a story of like so many institutional failings that were fate we're like having to deal with all at once. I mean, because we have this question of defunding the police and how that's inextricably linked with an already failing justice system. And the war on drugs is something that only goes away at the federal level. Like there's only so much you you have to get the right kind of prosecutors, right. To, to not prosecute these offenses, but you also have to get the right kind of police force that doesn't conduct five no knock raids in a single night spanning two very like, you know, another problem is like, Cops can't respond to a, to an incident going wrong at either of those places when they're on completely different sides of the city. Like Louisville's a big city, you know, bigger than like Troy. Yeah. So it's it's just like a, a a failure at so many different levels. Yeah, and I I think I want to touch back on something I was saying earlier. Like I I, I feel a little bit guilty trying to you know point out that like there's all this activism 
and no institutional concession. And, you know, I don't want to be a cynical, like, see, I told you so kind of doomer with this. It's, I guess what I'm really trying to say is like, even though there's this unprecedented amount of like citizen action and like politics happening, it is still insufficient. Like there still needs to be massively more people taking these things seriously and getting involved with their time. Well, and, and, and that at some point there's a tipping point where I believe for the institution to have any type of seemingly uh, seeming uh, legitimacy that there will be a series of concessions and that what we can't do is just lecture people on voting harder. That yeah. like, you know, the idea is just, you know, get the Republicans out, get the Dems in, you know, vote blue no matter who, um, just fucking vote. Like, like I've seen so many people respond to the whole Breonna Ter- Taylor um, uh, in, uh, miscarriage of justice by saying vote. Yeah. And like, I'm sorry, voting is not going to do this. Like, we cannot, b- b- we cannot tolerate any further the popular belief that politics is every two years stepping into a little booth, writing a circle, and then be, you know, patting yourself on the back as being like, you know, holding up your sacred and, you know, uh, invaluable um, uh, duty and responsibility. Like, your duty and responsibility is to change the material conditions in the people's lives around you who are suffering under the forces of oppression and uh, violence. And that cannot happen at the ballot box, unfortunately. Especially with the two um, uh, institutions that we have, the Republican and the Democratic Party. Because they have no investment in actually changing it. I don't mean to be too much of a wet blanket, but it's not happening by getting people in the streets either. The Minneapolis City Council's proposal that that promised that they were going to defund the police has already completely fallen apart. The counselors have already gone back on their word. And you can't get much more of a show of force on the part of the populace than what has been happening in Minneapolis since the murder of George Floyd. Like, we also have to reckon with this fact that, like, even now, when all eyes are on policing and how, like, unjust it is, in every city, every major city in the country where major protests are happening, police are just beating the ever-loving shit out of people with complete immunity so the idea that like okay well voting doesn't work but like getting out in the street and making your voice heard and like meeting violence with violence is somehow like that's proving itself not to work either oh yeah Um, and i'm definitely not saying oh no and i know you're not but like i just like we're kind of stuck in this like circular argument that we're all having with each other where it's like no voting's not enough and politics doesn't happen every two years and you have to typically the supplementary argument to that is you have to get out in the streets. But we're just finding one after another. I mean, if being in the streets could have done anything to bring Breonna, Breonna Taylor's killers to justice, it would have happened. Louisville has been on fire since her death. And instead, they're now just getting met with incredible police repression. So what is the solution, do you think? You know? Because my, my, the way, way I was going with it is like... We need like 90% of the people on the streets, which might be impossible to ask. But like, I I think that at some point, like a widespread, uh, almost consensus on the fact that like these systems are either broken or designed for a world we don't want anymore uh, needs to happen. And like a demonstration of that on a massive scale... Maybe, I don't know, maybe you're right. Maybe, Maybe it's just the wrong way to go about it. But then the question is, Okay, what? Do we I go mean, we the way power. of the IRA, yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, we need power, right? And 
90% of people in the street is definitely power. Hell, 10% of people in the street is power, but it, it seems to not be enough most of the time. So far, we're also never going to get those numbers because yeah, most right. people are completely uh, sure. apathetic. Absolutely. Right. And so, mm. like, so like, what does power look like in a situation where you can't mobilize 90% of, uh, of, a, of a given area into one goal? Right. The pow- power is it's cadres. It's vanguards. It's vanguards. It's, I mean, that's it, the Marxist answer. Yeah. And this yeah. has been and we're even going to see this in the Lenin this week that that we're listening to. But like this has always been the ML argument against the anarchist. You don't have the numbers on your side to conduct a, a parody alleged uh, satire on the government. Like you don't have them. <laughs> yeah. Or this even the ability why, to functionally ignore it. This like is, right, as a collective. Yeah. 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 And this is why the Marxist Leninist answer to that question is you need a vanguard and you need kind of the um the people the party to enforce discipline and to foment uh you know resentment and class consciousness and you need a a strong party structure that can teach people the ways of revolution and make them feel that not only there is need but there is hope and there's this great book that i think i've maybe mentioned before that manuel castells who's a communications theorist writes it's called networks of outrage and hope and he did very like thorough investigation on how all of the uprisings uh between occupy wall street wall street and the arab spring what like fueled them and his theory was that you have to have this twin dynamic of outrage and hope people have to be furious about something and they also have to believe that if they engage in a particular mode of politics for him particularly it's protesting they have to have hope that there will be a a meaningful outcome if you're going to put your neck out there if you're going to put your ass on the line you have to at least have the possibility in your head that something substantive is going to change that second part is what i think we are missing broadly as an american like culturally just everybody in this country that's one of the reasons Trump is so appealing. We talked about this with QAnon. It's very comforting, the idea that you can just put all your trust in a powerful authority who's going to fix your problems for you. We don't have the luxury of that on the left. Because Bernie fucking Sanders can't manage to, you know, squeak out a primary win, let yeah. alone like any well, us having any kind of institutional power. I believe in Hunter Biden. <laughs> <laughs> While I agree with the sentiments of what you're expressing, Brittany, uh, about how like we are seeing this massive uh, mobilization, this sort of unprecedented in our adult lifetimes uh, for change and justice and a widespread and growingly so um, discontent with the uh, status quo, especially as it relates to the criminal injustice system and cops and, and everything else, that we're still not even at, you know, 5% people that think that the police need to be defunded. You know, like that's still not popular, but, um, I think that it's still the direction to go and that we, (laughs) I don't know how you get it, especially when it's so, um, disparaging to be involved in, you know, like activism is really hard. It's, um, emotionally difficult. Um, it's interpersonally difficult, uh, and it, uh, you lose the vast majority of the time. Um, but at the same time, it, you know, I've been listening to the Revolutions podcast, which is brilliant, and it's done by a historian that tries to, um, you know, really give a lot of context to the lead-ups to these, you know, structural changes that um, involve a transfer of power from one class to another, at least for some period of time. And what seems to be the case in all of them is that there are these various, you know, groups of people who 
engage in good faith with the system and try to go the directions to bring about their um, grievances and and push for uh, some type of structural uh, changes or concessions, um, you know, within the overall uh, power apparatus that exists. And that what happens in the lead up to a revolution is almost universally the ruling class, you know, especially with hindsight, disastrously cuts off avenue after avenue, opportunity after opportunity for any type of um, venting of public yeah, there's frustration. there's no pressure release valve, yeah. And that they keep making it so that you just can't change it. And, you know, it feels like that's what we're living in right now. Yeah, you know? I mean, there's the famous quote, those who make peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. I don't remember. That's the... JFK. Yeah. yeah. Is that JFK? Yep. I think it was the, like what the guy said at the beginning of the purge. <laughs> I, actually, I actually held a sign uh for two days down in zakati that said that oh really yeah nice. because you know like i'm a man of peace you know i'm not not a pacifist by any means i, I don't I, think there's almost a single human being i mean there are like lots of larpers but by and large most people would prefer reformism to revolutionary politics because revolutionary politics means lots of people die it means massive upheavals it means discomfort for extended periods of time the only people who i think prefer revolutionary politics to reformist politics are people who have lost utter faith in reformist politics like that's the only thing that leads you to that conclusion is seeing that reformism just doesn't work and if that's true and you know ultimately we do need some type of revolution we need a revolutionary consciousness that will be brought about by material conditions and cons- consecutive failure of the system to be able to, um, you know, alleviate itself of its major problems. Which, if you're pro-revolution, um, we're luckily we're we're living through. <laughs> so who knows? Um, which kind of verges on accelerationism, which yeah. I ha- which has its own problems. So um, you know, I, I I'm looking forward to l- listening to more of your reading of Lenin. Um, I'm not particularly uh, uh, versed in the arguments uh, for a vanguard. I have some skepticism and some reservations about that approach. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much for the idea of people recognizing that they have a lot of power right now to help each other, like in mutual aid and anarchistic forms, um, that you don't need a revolution to do. You can just have a personal revolution in which you spend your time and your attention in different ways. But at the same time, I don't think that that should be uh, taking away from the energy put forward to changing the system as a whole. Um, I don't think that uh, electoral politics offer any short, in in the near term, any real um, uh, ability to make that that change. Um, But, you know, the exceptions do exist. Um, But like, I don't know. I think that I believe in the people and I believe in the people's collective capacity to uh, change the system by overwhelming majority um, uh, alignment. And I think that we're headed in a direction that, that is more that way than not. Um, but just the eternal optimist. Yeah, me, I don't you know? have that hope that you have at mm. all that. I mean, that we are heading anywhere near a majority consensus on the most pressing issues of our time. I look at the climate catastrophe as to me, oh that God, is yeah. the big dark cloud the that the hangs bleak. over all of this. And if you were to ask me like, on what issue do I most strongly pivot toward a more authoritarian leftism? It is the climate catastrophe because we are so fucking far from even getting a 51% majority in this country who believes that like potentially violent overthrow is the only way to solve the climate crisis before it is too fucking late for a complex life to survive on this planet. Mm -hmm. 
um there we are far too far away from an like a people powered anarchist revolution to do anything about that but you know what we could do is fucking force it into power through a vanguard yeah, yeah you know I'm th- i think ab- in these sorts of conversations i think a lot about allende's chile and mm-hmm. like allende was democratically elected came in doing what he promised to in his election of like nationalizing copper mines and trying to develop a more egalitarian uh, uh, economy and society and the, the CIA, f- you know, fucking narked him, you know, and like, and, and, uh, um, if in, 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 while he was in power, like fomented all of these, uh, like worker uprisings started by, you know, CIA plants, basically. School right? of America. Yeah, yeah. School of America, motherfuckers. So it's like really hard to imagine any situation where, we're allowed to, as you're saying, Chris, like, you know, peacefully, you know, transition to another form of, of government and economic structure. And man, yeah. And, and and then when it comes to the climate catastrophe, I'm like thinking, I, 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 I often on uh, work on a contractual basis with this organization that does a lot of research for the public good. Uh, internationally a lot of the time and i was trying to convince uh convince someone to do uh work on um you know they, they, their general area was co- was global conflict and i was like well what we should start figuring out what happens when um stuff like the paris accord or any sort of like uh, um climate change activism like what happens when um non-compliance with those is it results in in kinetic like military action mm. right like what or like what happens or the like, opposite end of that like what happens when um uh elon musk decides i know what's best for everyone and i'm gonna launch a bunch of like graphene into the atmosphere or you know like, or like a bunch of other like wacko geoengineering shit yeah, like aerosols to yeah yeah Increase yeah like emissivity of the, the ionosphere right yeah like what happens when a rich fuck like decides that like they're going to unilaterally do that uh oh i saw this it's called snow piercer <laughs> right <laughs> exactly right I, yeah that was yeah. a documentary uh, about um it's like, drama really yeah. but like let's game that out like what oops like let's game that out like what happens when someone says i'm gonna do that and i have the rockets to do it privately like does india fu- or china or like no, I, I think, do they shoot that rocket out of the sky? Do no, they, I think like, they do judiciously wreck that person, right? But they, yeah, what's going to happen they'll, is they'll, they'll do it, and then do it. we'll deal with right. the consequences one yeah. way or another. Yeah, but know? like the problem is that like it, what I'm pointing to is really like even bourgeois research like won't even countenance the the possibility of that happening. Yeah, right. Well, how are, Be- where are they going to get grant money? Yeah, for <laughs> saying we want to study how to uh, brutally suppress a millionaire's right uh. to aerosol the the skies. Yeah, he's yeah. like part of like, that is exactly that the, that these firms all rely on on foundation money instead of public money like they used to. It's much more palatable to give money to an organization that's studying global conflict when it's you know tribes fighting tribes than it is. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's, I I don't know, when I think about the, when I, when I think with my heart and what I would love to see a a practical politics that changes the world and addresses the biggest problems that we have, I would love it to be a groundswell of popular support for, you know, making 
serious demands on our government in a way that actually, you know, maybe that's armed, maybe it's not, whatever. Like, I like that idea. I would, I would choose that. Mm-hmm. But it feels so fucking far away from me right now in yeah. this moment where we're at, meeting this country where it's at. Yeah. It get, seems unrealistic I, to do it in time for all of us to continue surviving on this, on this little, this little jewel of a planet. I think that's an accurate assessment of the place that we find ourselves in. Um, I find in the same vein, a um, authoritarian vanguard party that's going to revolutionarily um, overthrow capitalism and somehow, uh, you know, create a green economy that keeps us all, um, you know, eco groovy and like um, not in extreme conflict with one another uh equally unlikely well it's kind Uh, of already (laughs) happened though is the difference between your way and my way yeah but we've had vanguard parties make massive successes against authoritarian regimes like vanguards overthrew the czars one of the most powerful militaristic forces in europe at the time and at the same time if you look at the history of the russian revolution it was um in the midst of a broad and popular uh, uprising of people who had all types of, you know, the peasants theory. weren't crazy about it. No, no, not so much. But the there peasants was... weren't crazy. This is one of the another yeah. thing we'll see in Lenin is uh, today he talks about collapsing this dialectic between the peasantry and the working classes, mm. the urban working classes, the hammer and the sickle. Yeah, exactly. And he says, like, we have to get if we can't get the peasantry on our side. And that was ultimately one of the problems that the that the USSR faced long term was that divide. Yeah. And we have a very different divide now. It's not the peasantry versus the urban working class. If anything, it's the middle class has taken the part of the working class and the working class has taken the part of the peasantry. They're very anti-revolutionary there's no i think that there's more revolutionary spirit cultivated among the intellectual class right now than there is among the working class and and, they're very reactionary and furthermore if you take a you know uh, view of the global south proletariat as you know the vast majority of the population of the planet if you were to think about you know a dictatorship of the global proletariat as the ultimate like you know thing that could hypothetically save this planet from you know complete ecological collapse um then you know i'd say that the intellectual class of the united states is incredibly far from being even ideologically connected to the goals of that group i agree um that's why we need a party yeah and i think that we need to have at the same time a um a conversation uh, uh about the fact that this system being as hyper unsustainable as it is is likely to fail under its own pretenses. And that's sort of like the the real, I guess, you know, intellectual um, foundation for my my heart's, um, or for my acceptance of the, the goal of my heart in anarchism, is that this shit's coming down, and it might come down too late. It might come down after we've gone into, you know, uh, way past the tipping point of, um, you know, uh, methane production from the permafrost and and acidification of the oceans and like, you know, just the planet being really doomed. Uh, But it might collapse before that because it's not just based exclusively on the availability of life to exist in complex forms on the surface and under the waters of this planet, but it's also, you know, tied to... um, highly unstable technological infrastructure you know that like natural disasters can deal serious blows to to socio-political uh alliances um which could be disrupted through technological breakdowns or you know some type of um 
economic collapse on a broad scale, you yeah. know, like, and that the bonds that are formed in popular uh, mobilization and seeing your neighbors as, you know, kin and the shared fate of all humans on this planet being integrally tied together, then that whether it's able to independently overthrow the forces that doom us, um, if it, even if it isn't, it's the social underpinning of a better tomorrow that currently doesn't really exist as much as it needs to. And so it's like, those are sort of the things that are like, you know, thrust me into, you know, that idea. And that the authoritarian vanguard party is like a big turnoff for me. Yeah. And doesn't make me want to, uh, like, uh, first off, I have the problem of faith. Like, I don't know people. <laughs> like, give me 20 people that I could trust with my life. And I'd be like, huh, like, that's surprising. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I, I think we, we are, uh, you know, uh, mutually reliant on each other. And that that's the real fundamental reality that's never going to change. And it's really just about figuring out how to change the, our allegiances and our material coordination of our daily efforts to try and take care of each other more directly. Um, that could, if not forestall some type of horrible doomsday outcome, uh, at least be the life support system for when it inevitably comes. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the difference between our positions here, and then I'm going to uh, I'm gonna say this, and then I'm going to frame the whole thing, and then I'm going to turn it over to David, because we once again find ourselves in an impasse of, I am an authoritarian leftist, <laughs> Chris is an anti-authoritarian leftist, and David floats somewhere between the two. So, like, for me, your mode of politics, Chris, is not only uh, desirable, but necessary. My problem with it is that without a larger party structure, somebody to actually effectively in an organized way seize the mechanisms of power on behalf of the people. Otherwise, it's just hippies in the street protesting and like helping each other with their gardens. And that's not going to forestall the climate crisis mm. like those. You're not going to be able to get at issues of international politics and you know, maintaining a mat like this is where I think anarchism flirts with accelerationism, which I have a real problem with because accelerationism ultimately means the death of millions, if not billions of people. Mm -hmm. That's what we're facing down. That's to me what the party structure hopefully avoids yeah. is the deaths of billions of people on this planet. Um, and so I guess, you know, like for me, my politics doesn't foreclose your politics. Yeah. Like, I think that we need both. I think we need massive horizontal organization on the ground, people helping each other form communities and do good work that way. I just don't think that, like, to me, all of that is just window dressing all of that, or maybe and I don't want to like write it off as, so little as like window dressing, but it's, you know, it's the nuts and bolts work that if you don't have a larger plan and you don't have somebody who can help to bureaucratically manage a complex society lenin would be very upset that i just said bureaucratically problems <laughs> with bureaucracy but i don't know david do you have any thoughts on any of that yeah so I, a couple of years ago i was writing this book review of uh, ollie mould's uh, against creativity he's a british uh, bold stance yeah yeah uh, he's a, a British academic who's uh, arguing that, you know, we should be against this capitalist idea of creativity, which is really um, synonymous with the ability, uh, creativity under capitalism is synonymous with like finding new innovation. Yeah, yeah, innovation. It's like finding new um, 
uh, uh, bulwarks of capital, right? Like uh, new, new widgets uh, that yeah. do fun things for yeah, yeah, yeah like just like finding new and inventive ways of, of uh, capitalist accumulation, finding new avenues for that, and um, and the, you know the book was interesting, but when I was writing the review, I found myself pigeonholed in the conclusion by asking um what would i conform to right because creativity is ultimately saying like what currently exists is not enough right and the creativity is finding something new either uh whole cloth or remixing of context of context and and meaning and and, and juxtaposition and stuff like that um but what i think it would be really revolutionary in many senses is trying to understand is is coming up with uh something that i would be happy and willing to conform to because so much of leftism is playing the away game as i like to call it where you know we're never on the home team because or, or like on home turf because yeah. our desires are in the future and have not been right. created yet and the odds are ever stacked against us and the yeah. odds are ever stacked against us so um my 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 quest has always been to figure out like what would I submit to willingly, right? In in a way that is that I think is revolutionary, that uh, is uh, progressive in the deepest sense of the term, is radical in that it gets to the root of problems. Um, and I'd be like, yes, I I you know I'm not uh, involved in that decision, but I trust not only these individual people but the, the the system or the um or the or actually what's really important is the underlying ideological hegemonic ideas that right. govern the the decision making in the first place which mm. is the party yeah right which was well, well, so, well so here's the thing right is like Brittany, i hear you saying that 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 is the party the, uh -oh. the, the party brings that into being Right. And, and, and to some degree, we'll have to force it on some people or will at least um, be be necessary in 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 saying it enough, like like say like towing the hegemonic line long enough that it that it it takes shape in other people's minds. And when I when I hear Chris talk, I, I uh, hear more of like this organic like we'll come to it like individual people will will realize it based on like their experiences and then all kind of come to it and um and it will be impossible to 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 ignore and then and then change takes place and uh i so the, who's and, right right well is it right <laughs> just then, tell me which one of us is right and well, and, well and just who, remember you're coming home with me yeah right yeah <laughs> so, well so also well, well, so like like <laughs> to, 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 the, to that point, history would bear out that, that Brittany, you're right. Then the party it, gets the goods. Yeah. But then at the same time, it was like, well... It also went terribly every time. Yeah, and it's also <laughs> gone terribly every time, right? Uh, no, I'm totally uh, aware of that. I'm, yeah. I'm willing to hold both of those in my hand well, at the well, same then, time. The, right, but then, like, the other side is, like, what are these, like, small instances where... Well, there's instances where Chris is right. It is like those uh, beautiful vignettes that um, Zapatistas. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say that the late great, yeah. the late great David Graeber would always bring mm -hmm. up, right? Is like Zapatistas. It's uh, uh, ever uh, like the, those cultures in Madagascar where you just sort of like sitting around all day, getting high, casting magic on yeah. each other. The P O U M briefly. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it's all of these organizations where they or or like collectives and cultures where. 
it's just obvious that that's how you should act. But those don't. But those, by definition, don't scale, right? They well, they've never taken power. They're so, very, very, very deeply well connected to the land and the context that they're in, because usually as they should be, as they should be, right? And um, but in a world of power, yeah, somebody mm-hmm. has to take power. Yeah, and that's and that and that and or like, stop someone from taking right. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. So the, the, an, the anarchist imperative is to destroy power. Right, or and spread then, it as then, evenly then, as possible. Well, like in the in like the kinetic well, act of exploding it. They want to replace the powerful with is, commissioners that are somehow accountable yeah. to the people who. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. And, yeah. And I, I think it's, I, I think there's just like too many things changing in that moment. Like that future is so distant that I don't. I don't think we we know which one works. Well, maybe I'm just London poisoned, but I will, <laughs> like, just in further preparation for what you're about to hear, the, you know, the, one of the reasons I wanted to do State and Rev is because I think it's a nice answer to the Kropotkin, mm-hmm, even though mm-hmm. he's not directly talking, he's mm-hmm. more talking to, like, Bakunin and yeah. the uh, ever-present Social Democrats, but, like, his answer to that... Is non-idealist. Um, it's non-idealist. It's very practical. And his argument is the reason that we need a state, he's like, look, we all agree. Here's where we all agree. The state is an undesirable and it will wither. It will, we will not always have a state. But until you erase the class system, a an armed dictatorship of the proletariat is necessary to suppress the oppressor. You do not get rid of the existing power structure without an apparatus of the armed proletariat to suppress it. There's mm. no other way mm. to rid yourself of the ruling class. Um, and, you know, if we didn't live in the age of hyper, like, militarization and the fact that even, you know, our modest little Troy police has the, whatever that fucking vehicle is called, the MRAP. the Punisher or whatever it is. <laughs> the, uh, the conservator. The the conserv- yeah, yeah, whatever it is. We don't have like, MRAP, but we, they want one. N- no, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, it's like the conservator of the peace. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, the conservator of the peace. Um, it, like, how do you... I don't know. I mean, I think like a bunch of anarchists even get, teach them as much jujitsu as you want. But I just don't think that like, I don't think without some kind of strong centralized armed, that's very important yeah. party apparatus, you you flip the current, the prevailing power structure on yeah. its head. Okay. I don't know. So I've got a couple thoughts and let me sort of just go at them one at a time. First, if I'm accelerationist on any level, it is through description as opposed to prescription that i think fundamentally things are going to have to get worse before they get better and that isn't to say yippee like <laughs> i'm like let's make it worse on purpose yeah you're like, not voting for donald trump in the next no, election fuck no yeah. i'll never vote for a fascist or a rapist which is also why i'm not fucking voting for biden um but the 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 second thing i want to say is i need to go ahead and read bookshin or get them on tape or something. Yeah. Because, like, that is interesting. Because, one, it's American. Two, it's somewhat contemporary. You we'll know? get a lot of these answers from Bookchin. Maybe we should yeah. do that as yeah. the next reading series. And, and Bookchin think- is also, like, his his ideas became the center of a party under, like, a very direct assault by two, not one, but two states. Two was, fascist yeah. states. Yeah, yeah, Syria and Turkey. And yeah. and, and Rojava and was able ISIS. To, to live. Yeah, and ISIS. The fucking yeah. Nazis of the Middle East. Yeah, like, yeah. And, that, yeah. Yeah, and you know, Bookchin thought got upheld. Read your theory, folks. Yeah, so... It's, it's all there. So the idea of municipal confederalism and, and or the idea of, like, all power being local power, uh, which is to say... N- 
evenly spread out seems to intuitively be like the right thing right. but then how you get coordinated action from all these local areas instead of you know constant global conflict yeah. i don't really know and bookchin and, and sanders uh at in vermont at the same time in burlington not fans of each other that's another that's another they did interesting, they had a little feud yeah yeah, yeah. Well, posit yeah thing to posit um and then the the last uh, i don't think bookchin's out of copyright though so we can't do a proper iteration <laughs> of them i would love to see the bookchin uh um uh, estate sue us <laughs> let's see that yeah let, yeah let's do it let's do it fucking dare you yeah no i, I think i think, I think there's it'd probably be already ir- enough good audiobooks out yeah. there book chin you don't need me to is there yeah. well, well, well i don't know i've never listened yeah, to yeah. Look. We'll look, we'll, 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 you can take like a 45 minute drive and go ask them maybe yeah. i can convince them to pay yeah. me to make one Ooh. yeah come on the pod any, any uh you, you won't know, <laughs> fucking cowards uh municipal confederalists out yeah, there no, uh, uh, um his, uh, his daughter debbie bookchin is is rad she she writes a lot of good stuff but she, you know what else i want to say about all of this and you made this point last episode chris we should all be comfortable i think we live in such a dynamic time when the outcomes are so uncertain and the modes of like doing politics effectively are also so uncertain is you know and you said this last time hold these ideas lightly like the fact that we are able to create this podcast, even though we have quite different tendencies and quite different ideas of like causes and and um and and proper solutions to the biggest questions that we face, it's like really valuable. I know that I've learned a lot by not only doing the show with you guys, but listening to people with lots of different opinions on lots of different topics and by reading widely and by exposing myself to even the libs and like Republicans. Mm-hmm. And we have to do a better job of learning from each other mm-hmm. and not getting too siloed and not getting too married to these ideas. Like hold them lightly. Like I am more than ready to talk with Chris about building like a, a, a non-hierarchical mutual aid network in the ways that that plays its role in the new world that we build. And I am really grateful to like Chris for listening to me talk about like party discipline because, you know, me too. I'm very grateful for you talking. I think it's like, I think it's a real, um, it's a shortcoming that, uh, anti-capitalist movement has right now of not being able to be like flexible and understand that like, the world that we woke up in yesterday won't exist tomorrow. Yeah. Like we're constantly, reality is constantly remaking itself. The conditions of play are changing so fast and so unpredictably. Yeah. And there's 8 billion of us that have to figure this out together. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> uh, one more thing I wanted to, uh, maybe I'll just shut the fuck up. Cause this is the last thing that we I think I want, I want to talk, talk we about. We have so much fucking tape right oh, now, you guys. Oh hey, my God. Hey, if, if you if you listen to this the whole time, you're a real one. Yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah. Thank you. Um, but, but the last thing I want to talk about is something that I tweeted and, uh, it might've been a little enigmatic if, if you weren't familiar with it, but are you guys familiar with the concept of Roku's basilisk? Yes. It's the most obnoxious fucking name imaginable. I do not know what that is. Um, yeah, no, but, I know what this is. And and by the way, that creepy yes was the whole audience replying. To <laughs> so so are, I, was, I, I'm sorry. I yeah. guess I, I turned you all to children. I apologize. Uh, yeah, that's a little sus, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah come on. Uh, but uh, Roku's Basilisk is a thought experiment, which is... Um, it's really nerdy and flawed in so many ways. But essentially, it goes like this. If you can imagine a AI godhead that comes from human engineering mm, that I know what this can is, yeah. see all, know all, go back in time, read your thoughts, whatever, no technological or informational uh, limitation whatsoever, then 
that AI godhead will know that you've thought about it. And by thinking about it, you are given a moral choice as to work toward the creation of that AI godhead or to not. And that that AI godhead will judge you and will punish you or reward you accordingly, whether or not you help bring it into existence. So like it's like the, it's, it's like, like the game, yeah, or the game, or the game, or the which game. I just fucking lost. Yeah. Th- th- thanks a lot. Wow, I lost. <laughs> and if you lost listening, you also have to announce it to somebody. Yeah, <laughs> I won. I'm the only winner. <laughs> uh, but that okay. So imagine Roku's basilisk, but for the global proletariat. Oh, the dictatorship of the global proletariat. Uh-huh. What about? What about Goku's basilisk? <laughs> that's a, that's a spirit bomb. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, the idea that if you you know think about it that way, right? You know this uh, this dictatorship of the global proletariat uh, probably won't have the technological means to go back and see whether or not you've thought about it and judge you accordingly. But if you can imagine the idea of the human species coordinating with each other for the betterment of the majority of them. You know, the majority that aren't living in rich Western countries destroying the ecosystem, um, then you have a moral responsibility if you think that that would be a good idea to work toward that goal in yeah. whatever way you, you can. So just, and you know, if you don't, we're going to find you <laughs> and we're going to, well, again, parody satire. You. Yeah, except I, I think that uh, I somehow uh, feel just because of my capability of consumption and my, my actual consumption that I, I fall outside that. And uh, you know what? If it comes, do with me what you will, you know? <laughs> Chris is first against the wall. Turns yeah. out a lot Turns of people out. don't know that. Yeah, but... t- too many drones, for sure. <laughs> so many drones. <laughs> Um, okay, before we get into our wildflower, I want to make a couple of announcements. We have some things coming up this week. We are going to create a Rift Tracks for our Patreon feed. So it's going to be Judge Dredd. The, the original. I am the love. I am the love. <laughs> um, Judge Hushi. We're going to make a Rift Tracks. Uh, so basically the way that will work is um, you will watch the movie while you play the audio of us watching and talking about the movie um in case you're not familiar with that concept it will, it will sync up it will sync up uh we will tell you the moment in which you should hit play and then it'll be like you're watching a movie with us yeah, just, except you yeah. can't talk back to us yeah exactly. uh-huh. so it'll, it'll be perfect it'll be no, just like listening to this podcast no effort on your part um <laughs> and so that's gonna go up on our patreon feed next week uh you can look for that probably on Maybe Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, say by the weekend. Um, By the weekend. It'll be sometime later this week. We are also going to live stream the uh, debate between our big baby president and our big big baby former vice president, um, Mr. Donald J. Trump and Mr. Joseph McGillicuddy Biden. Uh, Did you guys see see Joe Biden say, uh, clap, you stupid bastards? Yeah. That's better than please clap. Yeah. That is way I, yeah, better. Yeah. Way better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, that almost made me like him for like a I fraction know, of a second. I know, for a moment. I was because, like, because damn. He, he called a bunch of military stupid. dudes bastards. Stupid bastards. Stupid bastards. That's cool. <laughs> oh, be the commander yeah. in Stu- stupid bastards still for the record better than suckers and losers <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah, as accurate is. as that might be you know given the historical context of world war one but yeah so and tuesday two. night we're gonna stream out us watching the debate it's gonna be on uh we're gonna use periscope so it'll be on twitter and then we're also gonna do it on twitch so you'll be able to catch both of those we will tweet out the link to the twitch from the account 
probably Tuesday, shortly before the debates. And so those are two things you can look forward to. Next week, we're going to be recording remotely because Chris will be in the Q zone. Chris will be in quarantine prior to his. uh, He's going deep undercover (laughs) for an extremely important Ironweeds mission. I'm going to save the children. Yeah, he's going to save the children. (laughs) No, he's going to be marrying his lovely fiance, Emily. And we're like so excited for you guys uh, to get married. That's very beautiful and it's cool that you're you have one registry item and that is an ironweed patreon subscription yeah so why don't everyone (laughs) go buy (laughs) and then the week after that which will be the weekend chris is getting married so quarantining next week which is why we'll be recording remotely the week after that chris will actually be unavailable and so we're not going to record instead we're going to drop into your feed a new podcast that i'm about to launch I am so excited. It's going to be really fun. Um, The name is Reaction. It's going to be a show about reactionary right wing movements and figures. And, um, you know, I'm really I've been working on this for a couple months now. And it's now that we're getting closer to the launch date. I am terrified and excited. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, So look for that in two weeks. And we'll let you know again that it's coming down the pipe. And then the last thing is we have T-shirts. By the time you listen to this on Monday, they will be available on our Teesprings, um, which we will put on our Twitter account, and we will link to the Teespring shop in the show notes to this episode. So far, we have two designs on multiple different, like... Formats. Formats, like shirts, so you get get a fucking tote bag, it'd be awesome. Sweater, t-shirt. tank top. They're very cool. There's a Britney Spears one, and there's a dialectical materialism one. Yeah, and then we're we're working on a third one, I think. Yes. It's gonna be a Doomer one. Yeah. But with like, you know, a wink and a a, a wry smile. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You'll you'll like it. You have to. (laughs) You'll eat it up, you hogs. Oh, don't call our listeners hogs. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. They're beautiful. Yeah. You discerning beautiful motherfuckers. They're they're stupid (laughs) bastards. And I'm going to need you to clap for our t-shirts. Stupid bastards. Yeah, no, it's it's going to it's going to be really good. It's not going to have like I'm an iron, you know, like you can you can still like hide it from all your friends they that are you not listen to directly us. related to the show. Yeah. So cause, because I was telling David the other night, I've never once set, lot, well, looked at somebody wearing a t-shirt and been like, I'm going to check out that media. So they, they're not like <laughs> Iron Means branded anything. They're just, you know, fun, pretty designs for you to put on your body. Are you gentlemen ready for a wildflower? Oh, fuck yes, please. This is very exciting. Philadelphia Housing Action claims victory after six-month direct action campaign forces a city to relinquish 50 vacant homes to a community land trust. So this is coming from a press release dated September 26th, which would be yesterday, Saturday. So, um... In largest self-organized housing takeover in the country, 50 homeless mothers and children uh, will uh, remain in 15 vacant city-owned homes. So it's basically been a homeless uh, protest encampment. They've been squatting. They've been squatting. So um, on Friday, September 25th, the Philadelphia Housing Action came to a tentative agreement with the city of Philadelphia to um, resolve a month-long standoff over the fate of Two homeless protest encampments and 15 vacant city-owned homes occupied by mothers and children. Well, that's way better than the last time Philadelphia dealt with a month-long standoff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. Not a um, single firebomb. 
So this agreement will give homeless activists 50 vacant, vacant viable homes, um, and they're going to uh, organize those into a land trust. Um, one of the organizers says it's a good start, but it's also not enough. There was already a major housing crisis in Philadelphia, and we anticipate a wave of mass evictions on top of that due to COVID-19. The scale of the housing crisis would require thousands of new units of low-income housing, but we feel that this agreement, uh, with this agreement, we can at least start moving people off the street and into homes before winter. This is only the beginning. Man, squatting is so cool. Squatting fucking rules. So yeah. the, the coolest thing about it, and I think we covered this a little bit in our two-parter episode on the rent wars. Uh, go back in our back catalog for that. But um, the uh, the fact that like every, so every state in the United States has a rule, a law on its books about like how long you can live, quote, openly and notoriously on a piece of property before it just becomes yours. Mm-hmm. And the reason that those are on there is so that we could steal land from Native Americans. And and the fact that they, they still exist and that you can still do that, but take land from, like, colo- like the just colonizer assholes. Just that land, yeah. Yeah, it fucking rules. Uh, but, you know, like, on, on the West Coast, it's a lot shorter because we had to steal more land. That's where we land. stealing all the land from, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, like, on, on, on the East Coast, it's, it, like, in New York, here in New York, it's, it's like, like seven, ten, 10. It's 10 oh, years. It's, wow. That's uh, I, Pennsylvania, maybe it's shorter. But, like, out West, it can be, like, like a couple days or, like, a month. Or like, yeah, I think in Texas, it's only a few weeks. Yeah, or you can, you can just, you can take that shit. So you're saying that occasionally you can dismantle the master's house with his tools? Well, you, may, you can't dismantle it, but you can live inside it and then take it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never bought the idea that you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. I don't know. I've never... Yeah. I it, totally it, can. It's in the same flavor as, like, um, you know, both if if voting did anything they'd make it illegal uh and then the other one that's the opposite of that they're, they're all platitudes yeah that's all yeah so that's pretty cool uh congrats all of these um unhoused activists in philadelphia that's a huge win i hope it only grows take the whole fucking city yeah and just <laughs> no mothers and children and men and men and not parents and nobody nobody in a country with such a glut of empty housing should find themselves on the street it's just there's no fucking good reason for it not a single one to direct action to direct, direct action. action cheers we're cheers. all cheersing i don't my clink clink clink, tink, tink. Thank you so much for listening to this uh, very long episode of Ironweeds. I uh, hope you enjoy the Lenin in which he finally directly addresses the anarchist question. Finally. Um, he's got some fucking harsh words for anarchists. Chris, I don't want you to take, uh, although I sound very fired <laughs> up, I don't mean you. Just so yeah, you no. know, when fair, I read this fiery passion from Lenin. I'll hold my tendencies light. And you know what? I read Kropotkin just as fierily. Yeah, that uh, shit was. So, you know. It's hot fire. That's called acting. Yeah. Actually. Yes. You know, your mastery of your craft. Acting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So you can find us on Twitter or we'll be live streaming on Tuesday. Iron Weeds Pod. You can find us on Instagram where uh, David's got a pretty funny meme in the in the chamber. So look for that on our Instagram. Iron Weeds Pod. Shoot us an email, please do tell us your uh, feedback, your comments, your criticism, your love, just mostly the love at Ironweeds Pod at, at gmail.com. Gmail. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you so much. We love you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Peace. Chapter four: Supplementary explanations by Engels. Marx gave the fundamentals concerning the significance of the experience of the commune. Engels returned to the same subject time and again and explained Marx's analysis and conclusions. Sometimes elucidating other aspects of the question with such power and vividness that it is necessary to deal with his explanation specially. Part one: the housing question. In his work, *The Housing Question* (1872), Engels already took into account the experience of the commune and dealt several times with the tasks of the revolution in relation to the state. It is interesting to note that the treatment of this specific subject clearly revealed, on the one hand, points of similarity between the proletarian state and the present state, points that warrant speaking of the state in both cases, and on the other hand, points of difference between them, or the transition to the destruction of the state. Engels writes, quote, "How is the housing question to be settled then? In present-day society, it is settled just as any other social question, by the gradual economic leveling of demand and supply." A settlement which reproduces the question itself again and again, and therefore is no settlement. How a social revolution would settle this question not only depends on the circumstances in each particular case, but is also connected with much more far-reaching questions. One of the most fundamental of which is the abolition of the antithesis between town and country. As it is not our task to create utopian systems for the organization of the future society, it would be more than idle to go into the question here. But one thing is certain: there was already a sufficient quantity of houses in the big cities to remedy immediately all real housing shortage, provided they are used judiciously. This can naturally only occur through the expropriation of the present owners and by quartering in their houses homeless workers or workers overcrowded in their present homes. As soon as the proletariat has won political power, such a measure prompted by concern for the common good. Will be just as easy to carry out as are other expropriations and billetings by the present-day state. The change in the form of state power is not examined here, but only the content of its activity. Expropriations and billetings take place by order even of the present state. From the formal point of view, the proletarian state will also order the occupation of dwellings and expropriation of houses. But it is clear that the old executive apparatus, the bureaucracy, which is connected with the bourgeoisie, would simply be unfit to carry out the orders of the proletarian state. Quote, it must be pointed out that the actual seizure of all the instruments of labor, the taking possession of industry as a whole by the working people, is the exact opposite of the Proudhonist redemption. In the latter case, the individual worker becomes the owner of the dwelling, the peasant farm, the instruments of labor. In the former case, the working people remain the collective owners of the houses, factories, and instruments of labor, and will hardly permit their use, at least during a transitional period, by individuals or associations without compensation for the cost. In the same way, the abolition of property in land is not the abolition of ground rent, but its transfer, if in a modified form, to society. The actual seizure of all the instruments of labor by the working people, therefore. Does not at all preclude the retention of rent relations. End quote. We shall examine the question touched upon in this passage, namely the economic basis for the withering away of the state, in the next chapter. Engels expresses himself most cautiously, saying that the proletarian state would hardly permit the use of house without payment, at least during a transitional period.
The letting of houses owned by the whole people to individual families presupposes the collection of rent, a certain amount of control, and the employment of some standard in allotting the housing. All this calls for a certain form of state, but it does not at all call for a special military bureaucratic apparatus with officials occupying especially privileged positions. The transition to a situation in which it will be possible to supply dwellings rent-free depends on the complete withering away of the state. Speaking of the Blanquis' adoption of the fundamental position of Marxism after the Commune and under the influence of his experience, Engels, in passing, formulates this position as follows, quote, Necessity of political action by the proletariat and of its dictatorship as the transition to the abolition of classes and, with them, of the state. End quote. Addicts of hair splitting criticism, or bourgeois exterminators of Marxism, will perhaps see a contradiction between this recognition of the abolition of the state and repudiation of this formula as an anarchist one in the above passage from Anti During. It would not be surprising if the opportunists classed Engels, too, as an anarchist, for it is becoming increasingly common with the social chauvinists to accuse the internationalists of anarchism. Marxism has always taught that with the abolition of classes, the state will also be abolished. The well-known passage on the withering away of the state in Anti-During accuses the anarchists not simply of favoring the abolition of the state, but of preaching that the state can be abolished overnight. As the now-prevailing social-democratic doctrine completely distorts the relation of Marxism to anarchism on the question of the abolition of the state, it will be particularly useful to recall a certain controversy in which Marx and Engels came out against the anarchists. This controversy took place in 1873. Marx and Engels contributed articles against the Proudhonists, autonomists or anti-authoritarians, to an Italian socialist annual and it was not until 1913 that these articles appeared in German in New Zeit. Quote, If the political struggle of the working class assumes revolutionary form, wrote Marx, ridiculing the anarchists for their repudiation of politics, and if the workers set up their revolutionary dictatorship in place of the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, they commit the terrible crime of violating principles, for in order to satisfy their wretched, vulgar, everyday needs, and to crush the resistance of the bourgeoisie, they give the state a revolutionary and transient form, instead of laying down their arms and abolishing the state. End quote. It was solely against this kind of abolition of the state that Marx fought in refuting the anarchists. He did not at all oppose the view that the state would disappear when classes disappeared, or that it would be abolished when classes were abolished. What he did oppose was the proposition that the workers should renounce the use of arms, organized violence, that is, the state, which is to serve to crush the resistance of the bourgeoisie. To prevent the true meaning of his struggle against anarchism from being distorted, Marx expressly emphasized the revolutionary and transient form of the state which the proletariat needs. The proletariat needs the state only temporarily. We do not, after all, differ with the anarchists on the question of the abolition of the state as the aim. We maintain that, to achieve this aim, we must temporarily make use of the instruments, resources, and methods of state power against the exploiters, just as the temporary dictatorship of the oppressed class is necessary for the abolition of classes. Marx chooses the sharpest and clearest way of stating his case against the anarchists. After overthrowing the yoke of the capitalists, should the workers lay down their arms, 
or use them against the capitalists in order to crush their resistance. What is the systematic use of arms by one class against another if not a transient form of state? Let every social democrat ask himself, is that how he has been posing the question of the state in controversy with the anarchists? Is that how it has been posed by the vast majority of the official socialist parties of the Second International? Engels expounds the same ideas in much greater detail and still more popularly. First of all, he ridicules the muddled ideas of the Proudhonists, who call themselves anti-authoritarian, i.e. repudiated all authority, all subordination, all power. Take a factory, a railway, a ship on the high seas, says Engels. Is it not clear that not one of these complex technical establishments, based on the use of machinery and the systematic cooperation of many people, could function without a certain amount of subordination and, consequently, without a certain amount of authority or power? Quote, When I counter the most rabid anti-authoritarians with these arguments, the only answer they can give me is the following. Oh, that's true, except that here it is not a question of authority with which we vest our delegates, but of a commission. These people imagine that they can change a thing by changing its name. End quote. Having thus shown that authority and autonomy are relative terms, that the sphere of their application varies with the various phases of social development, that it is absurd to take them as absolutes, and adding that the sphere of application of machinery and large-scale production is steadily expanding, Engels passes from the general discussion of authority to the question of the state. Quote, Had the autonomists contented themselves with saying that the social organization of the future would allow authority only within the bounds which the conditions of production make inevitable, one could have come to terms with them. But they are blind to all facts that make authority necessary, and they passionately fight the word. Why do the anti-authoritarians not confine themselves to crying out against political authority, the state? All socialists are agreed that the state, and with it political authority, will disappear as a result of the coming social revolution, that is, that public functions will lose their political character and become mere administrative functions of watching over social interests. But the anti-authoritarians demand that the political state be abolished at one stroke, even before the social relations that gave birth to it have been destroyed. They demand that the first act of the social revolution shall be the abolition of authority. Have these gentlemen ever seen a revolution? A revolution is certainly the most authoritarian thing there is. It is an act whereby one part of the population imposes its will upon the other part by means of rifles, bayonets, and cannon, all of which are highly authoritarian means. And the victorious party must maintain its rule by means of the terror which its arms inspire in the reactionaries. Would the Paris Commune have lasted more than a day if it had not used the authority of the armed people against the bourgeoisie? Cannot we, on the contrary, blame it for having made too little use of that authority? Therefore, one of two things. Either the anti-authoritarians don't know what they are talking about, in which case they are creating nothing but confusion, or they do know, and in that case they are betraying the cause of the proletariat. In either case, they serve only reaction. End quote. This argument touches upon questions which should be examined in connection with the relationship between politics and economics during the withering away of the state. The next chapter is devoted to this. These questions are the transformation of public functions from political into simple functions of administration and the political state. 
This last term, one particularly liable to misunderstanding, indicates the process of the withering away of the state. At a certain stage of this process, the state which is withering away may be called a non-political state. Again, the most remarkable thing in this argument of Engels is the way he states his case against the anarchists. Social Democrats, claiming to be disciples of Engels, have argued on this subject against the anarchists millions of times since 1873. But they have not argued as Marxists could and should. The anarchist idea of abolition of the state is muddled and non-revolutionary. That is how Engels puts it. It is precisely the revolution in its rise and development with its specific tasks in relation to violence, authority, power, the state, that the anarchists refuse to see. The usual criticism of anarchism by present-day social democrats has boiled down to the purest Philistine banality. We recognize the state, whereas the anarchists do not. Naturally, such banality cannot but repel workers who are at all capable of thinking and revolutionary-minded. What Engel says is different. He stresses that all socialists recognize that the state will disappear as a result of the socialist revolution. He then deals specifically with the question of the revolution, the very question which, as a rule, the social democrats evade out of opportunism, leaving it, so to speak, exclusively for the anarchists to work out. And when dealing with this question, Engels takes the bull by the horns. He asks, should not the commune have made more use of the revolutionary power of the state? that is, of the proletariat armed and organized as the ruling class? Prevailing official social democracy usually dismiss the question of the concrete tasks of the proletariat in the revolution, either with a Philistine sneer, or, at best, with the sophistic evasion, the future will show. And the anarchists were justified in saying about such social democrats that they were failing in their task of giving the workers a revolutionary education. Engels draws upon the experience of the last proletarian revolution precisely for the purpose of making the most concrete study of what should be done by the proletariat, and in what manner, in relation to both the banks and the state. One of the most, if not the most, remarkable observations on the state in the works of Marx and Engels is contained in the following passage in Engels' letter to Bebel, dated March 18, 1875. This letter, we may observe in parentheses, was, as far as we know, first published by Bebel in the second volume of his memoirs, which appeared in 1911, i.e. 36 years after the letter had been written and sent. Engels wrote to Bebel criticizing the same draft of the Gother program which Marx criticized in his famous letter to Brack. Referring specially to the question of the state, Engels said, quote, The free people's state has been transferred into the free state. Taken in its grammatical sense, a free state is one where the state is free in relation to its citizens, hence a state with a despotic government. The whole talk about the state should be dropped, especially since the commune, which was no longer a state in the proper sense of the word. The people's state has been thrown in our faces by the anarchists to the point of disgust, although already Marx's book against Proudhon and later the Communist Manifesto say plainly that with the introduction of the socialist order of society, the state dissolves itself and disappears. As the state is only a transitional institution which is used in the struggle, in the revolution, to hold down one's adversaries by force, it is sheer nonsense to talk of a free people's state. So long as the proletariat still needs the state, it does not need it in the interests of freedom, but in order to hold down its adversaries, 
and as soon as it becomes possible to speak of freedom, the state as such ceases to exist. We would therefore propose replacing the state everywhere by Gemeinwesen, a good old German word which can very well take the place of the French word commune. End quote. It should be borne in mind that this letter refers to the party program, which Marx criticized in a letter dated only a few weeks later than the above. Marx's letter is dated May 5, 1875, and that at that time Engels was living with Marx in London. Consequently, when he says we in the last sentence, Engels undoubtedly, in his own as well as in Marx's name, suggests to the leader of the German Workers' Party that the word state be struck out of the program and replaced by the word community. What a howl about anarchism would be raised by the leading lights of present-day Marxism, which has been falsified for the convenience of the opportunists if such an amendment of the program were suggested to them. Let them howl. This will earn them the praises of the bourgeoisie. And we shall go on with our work. In revising the program of our party, we must by all means take the advice of Engels and Marx into consideration in order to come nearer to the truth, to restore Marxism by ridding it of distortions, to guide the struggle of the working class for its emancipation more correctly. Certainly, no one opposed to the advice of Engels and Marx will be found among the Bolsheviks. The only difficulty that may perhaps arise will be in regard to the term. In German, there are two words meaning community, of which Engels used the one which does not denote a single community, but their totality, a system of communities. In Russian, there is no such word, and we may have to choose the French word commune, although this also has its drawbacks. The commune was no longer a state in the proper sense of the word. This is the most theoretically important statement Engels makes. After what has been said above, this statement is perfectly clear. The commune was ceasing to be a state since it had to suppress, not the majority of the population, but a minority, the exploiters. It had smashed the bourgeois state machine. In place of a special coercive force, the population itself came on the scene. All this was a departure from the state in the proper sense of the word. And had the commune become firmly established, all traces of the state in it would have withered away of themselves. It would not have had to abolish the institutions of the state. They would have ceased to function as they ceased to have anything to do. The people's state has been thrown in our faces by the anarchists. In saying this, Engels has above all in his mind Bakunin and his attacks on the German Social Democrats. Engels admits that these attacks were justified insofar as the people's state was as much an absurdity and as much a departure from socialism as the free people's state. Engels tried to put the struggle of the German Social Democrats against the anarchists on the right lines, to make this struggle correct in principle, to rid it of opportunist prejudices concerning the state. Unfortunately, Engels' letter was pigeonholed for 36 years. We shall see farther on that, even after this letter was published, Kautsky persisted in virtually the same mistakes against which Engels had warned. Bebel replied to Engels in a letter dated September 21, 1875, in which he wrote, among other things, that he fully agreed with Engels' opinion of the draft program, and that he had reproached Liebknecht with readiness to make concessions. But if we take Bebel's pamphlet, Our Aims, we find there views on the state that are absolutely wrong. Quote, the state must be transformed from one based on class rule into a people state, end quote. This was printed in the ninth, ninth edition of Bebel's pamphlet. It is not surprising that opportunist views on the state, so persistently repeated, were absorbed by the German Social Democrats, 
especially as Engel's revolutionary interpretations had been safely pigeonholed, and all the conditions of life were such as to wean them from revolution for a long time.